0: I'm singing my sorrow. I'm singing my rage. I'm singing this fear out, and I'll sing it over and over again.
1: Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference, with Siada Baid in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi everyone. Today we have Pamela Brannan with us and she's the Executive Director of Children of Uganda. And actually it's just me on the show this evening because Ziadah was not able to be here this evening. So, um, hi Pamela. It's great to be talking to you. How are you doing? Hi
0: Marion. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm good, and you're so welcome. So, um, I wanted to start by asking you a bit about what first inspired you to want to make a difference through through your work, or and the, and in the world in general. Yeah,
0: I really love this question and mm. appreciate the uh, opportunity to answer it. I many many moons ago was in college, mm-hmm. and I was studying to become. A screenwriter for television and film. Oh. And uh, I also had a, a, a keen fondness for radio. So I was mm-hmm. also um, studying radio production. Mm-hmm. And I had an internship at a radio station in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And our radio station did the country's, in the country being the U.S., did the country's first ever AIDS radiothon. Ah. And I didn't know much about it, um, it being AIDS, HIV, AIDS. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got the assignment as an intern, uh, the graveyard shift, because it was a twenty. I believe it was a 28 hour radiothon. So Ooh, I, I came in with uh, my college roommates and mm-hmm. we were there from four o'clock in the morning until I think the end, of, it ended at 10 a.m. Okay. And, uh, it changed the course of my entire life, not just my professional life, but my life because people who were my age were being wheeled in, uh, in wheelchairs and they were sharing their stories. And I was stunned Mm -hmm. that I didn't know more about it. I was in Washington, DC
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: you know, the world's most powerful city so-called, and I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so I was left just speechless, heartbroken, I felt very powerless. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, the radio station had partnered with a local organization called the Whitman Walker Clinic. And I started volunteering with them and became what is known as a buddy.
1: And -hmm. you're assigned
0: to someone who um, has been all but abandoned by their friends and family. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I remember my first buddy, his name was Charles. Mm-hmm. and he lived in the, in the uh, quote, bad part of town, mm-hmm. and uh, we became fast friends. We had absolutely nothing in common except for our common humanity, mm-hmm. and when I relocated to Los Angeles, they referred me to um, a sister organization, mm-hmm. AIDS Project LA, and I started volunteering and then ultimately took a job there. Uh-huh. And I am seated in the in the position that I am today as a result of that internship all those years ago.
1: Wow! So when when was that? Like how 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 long ago was that?
0: Oh, this was a long time ago. It was probably 1988.
1: Yeah, so 30 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. 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 So so I'm interested. So okay, so you so you took the internship, and that that kind of well, what happened after that? How long was that for?
0: And the internship, I believe, was a semester. Um, mm-hmm. It was near the end of my education, mm-hmm. and I was so profoundly moved that I wanted to continue that experience. I, you know, I graduated with a degree in radio, television, and film, and I do believe that many aspects of my study I, I utilize, uh, primarily, you know, speaking and writing and. Um, you know, being an ambassador for this organization. And it started, you know, very small. I started as a volunteer in a rather large organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there were many opportunities. And my heart was so deeply touched and and frankly, troubled, that yeah. people my age were not talking about it. They weren't, at least in my community. And so I wanted to make a difference. And I didn't realize the difference that was about to be made in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, I followed my heart. And when I was relocating from Washington to Los Angeles, I knew, I didn't know hardly anything. I didn't have anybody out there. It was on a wing and a prayer. What I knew profoundly in my soul is that I wanted to continue volunteering within the AIDS community. And that was one thing I knew for sure. Mm-hmm. And that voice or that leading, whatever you want to call it, never steered me wrong.
1: Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so now you're the executive director of Children of Uganda. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about what Children of Uganda is and does and just, just give us a sure. bit of, a sketch of that.
0: Yeah. Well, the organization itself was founded in 1995. Mm -hmm. Uh, A group of volunteers um, from the UK and the US were um, together in Mm -hmm. Uganda, and they met a woman by the name of Sister Rose, Mm -hmm. and she was fondly known as Uganda's Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. She, uh, during the uh, regime of Idi Amin, began Mm -hmm. taking in homeless boys and homeless girls, And I think not only was she known as Uganda's Mother Teresa, I think she was Uganda's first entrepreneur Uh, because she never could turn a a vulnerable child away, uh, sometimes to her own detriment. And when they would run out of food, she would literally pack all the kids up in a lorry and take them to a a gathering place where there would be a lot of foot traffic Mm -hmm. and the children would sing and dance. Mm -hmm. And they would get some few shillings. Yeah. And so she started thinking bigger Mm -hmm. and thought, what if I could get these kids to another country where there was, you know, more resources? Mm -hmm. So these volunteers happened to meet her and they started brainstorming. One thing led to another. And the very first tour to the U.S. was in 1996, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the organization itself was formally founded and incorporated and continue to grow. And our primary fundraiser and awareness raiser is the tour. It's known as the tour of light. Mm-hmm. And we support and empower hundreds of vulnerable children who have lost one or both parents okay. and would otherwise not go to school.
1: Okay. So they, they come to the U S um, for a period of time to do concerts. Yeah,
0: every couple of years, we produce a a national tour. Mm -hmm. And we start uh, on the East Coast and travel across the country. uh, Mm -hmm. till we get to California. And we perform traditional East African music, drum and dance. And uh, the youngest on our last tour was six, and the oldest was 20. So we have every age between at least on the last tour between six and 20.
1: Okay. And the children that come are the children who you're supporting or the mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And the support that you give them um, is with school and living or... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: We, we provide their necessities of life, mm-hmm. which includes... Um, I was surprised when I first found out about it. I've been involved with the, with the organization since 2000 and i was really stunned when i found out that education is not free for the most part in uganda Mm -hmm. it was not free at all when i first became connected and the country has um started rolling out over the last few years universal primary education and universal secondary education and i say this as a, a matter of fact not as a matter of judgment or criticism it's still a work in process uh you've got 50 kids to a classroom in in what we would call here in the U.S., in the public schools and uh, in the private schools, the boarding schools in particular is where our children attend. Mm -hmm. And we provide them with the the schools with the financial resources to educate the children, house and feed the children, provide them with access to basic medical care and their requirements, uh, Mm -hmm. the scholastic and personal requirements that a child must have in order to enter a school in Uganda.
1: Mhm. So you're sponsoring specific children in a range of schools rather than a specific school is that right? Like-
0: that is correct. We work in three separate districts in okay. Uganda. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting for me is in terms of my both my professional and personal paths that I've been following. You know, I happened into the the, the country's first ever AIDS radio fund mm-hmm. and then late, later found out that Uganda had the first ever reported case of HIV in the world. It may not have been the first ever, but the first known reported case of HIV was in Uganda. Mm. And so it really does seem to me that my path was, was destined um, Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, in the community in which I find myself. So, uh, and, you know, having worked yourself in Uganda, it's an extraordinary population of people. They are, some of the most generous and kind-hearted and light-filled people that I've ever met in my life.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've always always enjoyed working in Uganda. I think that um, if the the other had been able to be here, she she would be um, maybe wanting to ask a little bit more about, uh, say, like how you identify the children you work with, Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Are you able to say a little bit about how, how children yeah. come into your program and that mm-hmm. kind of thing? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So we work with a variety of community leaders mm-hmm. and what, what is called probation officers. Mm-hmm. It's a very different term in Uganda as it mm-hmm. is here in the US. And so they identify children and they know of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And we have an annual recruitment where we will go and sit down with uh, surviving guardians and the children mm-hmm. and verify the need.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, we select a certain number of children every year. The Ugandan school year starts at the beginning of the calendar year, yeah. uh, whereas in the US, our, our school year starts at the end of August, beginning of September. Yeah. And so um, we do the recruitment and, uh, and it, you know, it's a pretty thorough uh, verification process and ensure that the children are indeed vulnerable Mm -hmm. uh, and that there is no means of support within the home.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, the the vulnerability of the children starts in the home. It doesn't start with the child. They don't just wake up one day and they don't have the means to survive or go to school. Mm -hmm. And so we've also started partnering with the guardians to help strengthen that structure within the home and within their villages and communities Mm -hmm. and uh, as a means to help the guardians, mainly women, aunties, mothers, grandmothers, to be able to be self-supporting and independent and break those chains of you know, that perpetual dependence upon organizations, mm-hmm. like uh, children of Uganda.
1: Mm-hmm. So would you support children through their school, whole school career or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So you support from, from three primary and secondary.
0: Indeed. And if a student at the end of their secondary career, if they've gone through advanced secondary uh, school through secondary six, then if they score the, the, uh, um, the number of points needed mm-hmm. and the sponsor is able to take them through, we then have a small number because it is quite a jump in terms of the cost to go it from is. secondary to university. Then we take those students through university as well.
1: Okay, cool. Great interesting Mm -hmm. so
0: um let me take
1: take you back a bit to you and uh, uh, and how you came to be in this work and and Mm -hmm. and just yeah so so 30 years of following this path and I don't know how many years have you been the director of children of Uganda
0: nine years since March of 2008
1: a while, a while with children of Uganda. Now, um, mm-hmm. what what do you wish you'd known when you started out um, on this path? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: the The children of Uganda path, or the path thirty either, years ago? Either, one. either. What, what mm. do you feel? Which which uh, mm. most interesting? That's a. Now? I love this question. <laughs> this is a. This is a great question. I think this is a question that especially for women because what i have learned is that women um they really overserve i've i've i thought it was just me and what i wish i had learned um or had known when i was first starting out even as executive director is mm-hmm. i needed a community particularly mm-hmm. a community of women and not necessarily a community of women that were in the nonprofit field but a community of women who were in a, in leadership roles yeah. because you know, I had a boss tell me one time, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And I always thought that was the funniest thing until I became the boss, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he could not have spoken more prophetic words. Yes. I wish I had known that a community of women could support me and provide me with resources that I desperately needed. I had the mistaken belief that I had to do it all mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. and uh, I know now today that 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 is just not the case. Yeah. No matter no matter what you know, those above me um, throughout my career may have required of me. I no one should be given not one single person should be given the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Those those keys should be shared amongst a, a team of people. Yeah. And as leaders of particularly uh, nonprofits NGOs, I believe that putting our care first is tantamount because, you know, if you're on a plane and it's going down, what do they tell you that the flight attendants say, put on your mask first mm-hmm. and don't try to help other people before you do that. And I believed working in an environment that was to support and empower and frankly save children from, you know, there's no safety net in, in, in a country like Uganda, like in the U S there are resources. Mm-hmm. And so I forgot to put my mask on first mistakenly thinking that if I got everybody else's on, surely I would have the ability to put mine on. And, mm-hmm. uh, if I had known that many, many years ago, I think I would have avoided a lot of bumps in the road and a lot of mm-hmm. pitfalls in my own well-being. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I totally resonate with that. I think. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. What, 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 um, what helped you come to that realization? Just for anybody mm-hmm. listening who's mm-hmm. um, feeling, you know, interested by that, and, uh, and want, wanting to kind of explore it more. Like, what, what made, what, what helped you to shed light on that for yourself?
0: It was again, you know, I will, I will say this, and this may sound woo-woo. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna qualify with that. And I'm also gonna own it because I truly believe, and I, I believe this for everyone, if, if we're paying attention. And there have been times in my life, personally and professionally, when I've been keenly in the present and paying attention and other times not. Yeah. And I was not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I went through a very long season where I felt very drained and very depleted. Yeah. And then one day I listened yeah. and I was led to a mentor Mm -hmm. and that mentor invited me into a group of women that she coaches and facilitates. Mm -hmm. And it was within that group of women who intimidated the heck out of me at first. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to run for the hills. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, if I can sit in this discomfort, then I know for a fact that my life is about to change in ways I can't even imagine. And you know, it's so interesting today, I read something on someone's Facebook page that said, discomfort trumps regret. And I was instantly taken back to a year ago, January 2016, when I said yes to joining this group of women, entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders in their industry. And I sat through a lot of discomfort, the compare and despair. Mm -hmm. these women are so much smarter than I am. They're so much more savvy than I am. They're so much more together than I am. And I later found out that was just pure BS. They Mm -hmm. all had the same challenges and fears and doubts and hopes that I had. And I started taking care of myself in a really radical way in ways that I hadn't in years. Mm -hmm. I put my mask on first. Uh, I picked up the phone and made doctor's appointments. That I kept deferring to another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a long overdue surgery mm-hmm. at the beginning of January of this year. And so the world, interestingly, the world has continued to turn <laughs> with me putting my, myself and my well being first. And <laughs> pe- people have a tendency to also do for themselves what they need to do for themselves as well. <laughs> and so uh, I heard something a long time ago. People aren't looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. And I think, you know, throughout my career in charitable um, work, I have sometimes mistaken the handout for the hand up. And, yeah. you know, people are looking for opportunity to be independent and self-supporting. Yeah. And so I'm grateful now that I put on this new pair of glasses in my perspective is so much clearer that if I don't take care of me, you know, what is that great saying? You can't pour from an empty cup.
1: That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, yeah, it so resonates with my work and my um, own experience and I, and I, and I, it's interesting to me how common an experience this is because like we we only connected a few weeks ago, Pamela, and mm-hmm. but, but 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 your experience is very similar to my own in in some ways. And um, I think it's really interesting how many of us kind of trap ourselves or get trapped in, and 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 it's usually a mixture of both, um, a sort of behaviour or a way of working and running our lives. But actually, I think perhaps particularly when we're working in the not profit sector, um, perhaps particularly when we're leaders in it, I don't know, but where, you know, the, the not-putting-your-own-mask almost becomes like a pattern, you know? It becomes mm-hmm. like a behaviour, it becomes like a habit. And so it's like, my habit is, or for me, it was like, my habit is: I just need to do this and then I'll, I'll think about that. You know, I just, I don't need mm. to do this for the project. I just need to do this for whoever. I just need to raise a bit more money or I just need to, um, take mm-hmm. this trip somewhere or I just need to get one more member of staff. Or when I've done blah, then I'll try and sort my life out. <laughs> and of course, mm. then the day, the day when you're going to sort your own life out never comes. <laughs> Until you it's get true. some kind of challenge or shock or whatever, you know, um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally relate to that and, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's something that I want to really, you know, in my work, I want to really challenge the ways that we're doing that to ourselves. And, and we're also, um, there's, there's some ways I think in which the, the, the kind of sectors we work in and the space we work in and the, you know, we, it, 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 it's both a personal and a collective experience, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really believe that. And yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm just going to speak for myself. I certainly mm. can't speak for anyone else, but I just heard you say something that totally resonated mm. and that is, Oh, as soon as I, you know, finish this project, yeah. Um, as soon as I raise, you know, the money that I need to raise this month,
1: yeah. I
0: went on my first vacation in five years last year.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And it was a result of being a part of this group of women and their eyes just, you know, almost popped out of their heads when they said, what? And I kept saying, you just don't understand, you know, these children really need me. Yeah. And they were like, they need you whole and healthy. Yeah. And I went on this vacation and I came back, and my heart and my spirit were so full. Yeah. and again, my organization didn't fall to the ground. the world kept turning, mm-hmm. and I came back refreshed and overjoyed and energized in a way that I can't even describe. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if it's part of the patriarchy, if it's part of socialization. Um, you and I live on, on two separate continents and You know, we've had a a collective experience, um, but I've heard it myself as well. So many women um, have this experience of deferring their dreams and their well-being for just doing that one more thing, just one more email, one more phone call. Yeah. And, you know, days and weeks turn into years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's a strange combination of like self-sacrifice and almost... Do I dare to say arrogance to it? Mm -hmm. It must be me that writes this email. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It must be me that that does this. I am so needed that I can't put up for myself. It's a really miswired circuitry. I'm so Mm -hmm. needed by whoever, whatever it could be. Like for me, it was kind of like the organization. And then of course the work the organization does, blah, 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 blah. You know, the people that work for it and all these things. But, you know, I am so needed here that, you know, I can't be there for myself, essentially. That's the circuitry. And like mm-hmm. that's messed up.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's almost like the bondage of self. And I'm so glad you said it. I mean, you, 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 you put a great... um, you know, a great magnifying glass on that. I mean, I'll, again, I'll I'll own something else. I know that, and I I didn't have the awareness, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I do. And it's almost like if you, if you look at a picture and there's a picture within a picture and you can't see it, and then you see it, you can't unsee it. It's there. Every time you look at it, it's there. Mm
1: -hmm. And when
0: that realization came to me, when I came back from my vacation and, They did okay without me. They did more than okay without me. Mm -hmm. I could walk away today and I wouldn't do it. Um, But if I hit the lottery and decided, okay, I'm going to leave in a couple of weeks, (laughs) they're going to be just fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's this weird...
1: If I could win the lottery, I could give them money and then
0: they'll be There you go. There you go. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fabulous? We'd all live happily ever after.
1: (laughs) But then also, if I'm winning the lottery, then I'm going to give it so that they'll be all right without me. It's still Mm -hmm. about me.
0: (laughs) So funny. So funny. But we're laughing about it and there have been times when I've been so, so serious and like deadly serious. And, you know, I... I just see women around me. Suddenly my, my community has expanded exponentially in the last year as a result of being plugged into this, you know, first group of women. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm hearing the same stories that you and I are sharing today. Yeah. And I am so excited and was so excited to connect with you a few weeks ago and to learn that you are going to be doing this kind of work Mm -hmm. um, to give women this awareness. And help them take care of themselves so they can take care of the world. I just think it's a genius model. And I'm so excited for you and the women who will benefit.
1: Mm, thank you, thank you for that, Pamela. And I also I wanted to bring you bring something back that I've been thinking about a bit, which is um, because because I took you for you you were talking about you know um, the extent to which it's about patriarchy and the system that we live by, and then I started kind of talking about the personal, the sense that you know it's like oh I think it's all about me. It must be me that saves people, but actually for me, that and this is where it gets really serious. Um. In, you know, where, where it gets serious and where it's um, maybe even scary is that, um, that, that those two things are linked for me, I think. And so I, what I think I believe now, what I do believe now, let me say it clearly, is that, um, that that notion that I had, and I'll just speak for myself, that it had to be me that fixes it, was tied up in my, um, the way that I, um, valued myself as someone who could do things for other people. Mm. But I wasn't able to value myself for myself in a clear and clean and healthy way. I was only able to really value myself as someone who could, you know, f- help and, yeah, I'll say it, I'll name it Fix, in my mind, mm. Fix other people. And so, um, yeah, and so... And for me, that is deeply kind of bound up in patriarchy and systems of you know value—the way that we Mm -hmm. value, or rather, don't value women for themselves, for what Mm -hmm. they bring, and the way that we teach you know um, girls about their value—then becomes you know a crucial, a crucial thing in this whole in this whole mess. To you know to to first of all enable individual women not to have this experience. That we've both had, and also for that to then enable them to create change in the world in ways that are healthier, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and so it's so funny and not funny at the same time, and, and just so fascinating to me that you and I, until a few weeks ago, were connected through social media, but we had never spoken, mm-hmm. and yet we have a language that I understand when you speak it, and I'm sure it's, you know, vice versa, that same goes true in return for you. absolutely. And these are conversations, again, I'm not trying to, I'm gonna say something, I'm not trying to blow sunshine up your skirt. I love that. These are conversations (laughs) that I am just so excited that you're having with women. And, you know, you are naming it, and you're giving women a chance to, even if they don't, they don't understand they are going to soon understand. Oh yeah, that's me. Mm
1: -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. me.
0: I'm trying to fix everyone else when, you know, what do they say? Those who um, heal need to heal the most. And uh, I know that's true for me. I did not think up until about a year and a half ago that just by virtue of being alive and being me, that that was enough, that I somehow had to be, that my role as executive director gave me value and without it i was not valuable as a as a person yeah and Uh that's just not true and it took me a long time and a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain and a lot of not paying attention until the pain was so bad that i again you know by divine um, you know, called me out on my BS and also gave me the keys to the kingdom that is shared by tremendous women that I've been so privileged to be connected to. You are but one. And I'm, I'm just so grateful.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, to um, so, something you said I wanted to pick up on. It's like um, uh, talking, you, you, you were talking about the valuing of yourself. And um, what struck me, as you were saying it, was in your work, you're, you're, you've described a, uh, a a process by which you you know you are you're valuing children who um, have mm-hmm. vulnerable children whose experience in the world may well be of not being valued or at least um, struggling to access the thing, you know the opportunities that they need to um, be able to express their. It, you know, their value and their um, desires and their, you know, interests and all, all of those things that we know are important in our lives. And um, it strikes me that it, it, the thing that I never saw that I see so clearly now is that if I'm not valuing myself, how can I invite that in, in, in other people? Indeed. And at the bottom of all work that's about really making the kind of change in the world that will make a difference in the long term is this heart of valuing ourselves, being able to yeah. model that to other people. And yeah, there's, there's lots of the practical that needs to be in there. You know, I'm not suggesting that you would just kind of go teach people to value themselves and not, I'm not, not pay school fees. Some people need their school fees paid, <laughs> but, there, but there's, there's something there in there as well. That's a truth. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, well, I think
0: that's the thing about Ugandans that I'm so inspired by. I, I, it's, it's no accident that I ended up, and, and perhaps I have found that other countries in Africa are, are very similar, my experiences in Uganda. There are the, the value that they possess in their own culture. I was, the first experience I had with this organization was with their dance troupe in, in 2000 and I spoke with the then artistic director of the troupe, and he said, our stories started dying because an entire generation of people started dying. Mm. And our history and our stories, they are so precious to us, and many of them are not written down. Mm. They've been passed down through music and story and drum and
1: dance. And he
0: said, these dance troupes that have sprouted up um, are meant to preserve our stories and our culture and our history. And for a country that's the size of Oregon in the U.S., um, I was just, I was so inspired by that. And something just literally came alive inside of me. Mm -hmm. And it is fascinating that they don't have the so-called riches that so many developing countries have. And yet I have found so much abundance in their culture and in their way of living. It's it is an it's it's an incredible dichotomy in many ways, and in the and, land, and in yes, indeed. <laughs> in fact, in Uganda, I always think like
1: it's like the land is. It always feels really fertile and productive, mm-hmm. and yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that deep orange soil and all the like amazing stuff that grows in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. The the best produce I think I've had is is from Uganda, they're, mm. you're right, their soil, their teas and their fruits and yeah. their vegetables. It's, it, they have not depleted um, their soil. It's very rich as you yeah. say. Yeah, mm. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you to tell us then, having had this range, you know, far ranging discussion about how we um, uh, take care of ourselves as women, with a desire to make change in the world and make sure we're not depleted. How do you Pamela um, now practice this commitment to look after yourself, to relax, to do whatever it is that you, you know, you, Feel calls you, or you feel you need for what we call in our community, um, the Jazz community, um we call replenishments. So what replenishes you? <laughs>
0: mm, thank you. I love that question too. It, it in particular, has become a lifeboat mm-hmm. and uh, one that I know I am responsible for. I yeah. am responsible, as we were sharing, to value myself because I just by virtue of being a human being and valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what I do on a daily basis, uh, imperfectly, I will share. I wake up in the morning and before I open my bedroom door, mm-hmm. I meditate and I write. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I use a, uh, a template called morning pages. I write three pages, you know, streams of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's called the the brain drain. So I drain Whatever out of my brain. Right? Indeed. Yeah. And uh, I have a a prayer practice. I am a person of faith. It's a Mm -hmm. personal faith. Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, swim. Mm -hmm. And uh, having had a surgery in January, I had my left knee replaced. So Mm -hmm. I've been doing uh, lots of physical therapy. Uh, I'm part of a women's gratitude list. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an email list that goes around daily. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that gratitude for me is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, I hit a bump in the road today with a work situation yeah. and, uh, I was very grateful that I could literally sit in my car before coming into the office cause I got it over oh. an email and I got the email on my phone that I could sit in my car and actually do a mental gratitude list mm. and and my whole perspective shifted. And I, I read one time that a miracle is simply a shift in perspective, in perspective right and so those um i call it filling up my cup physically emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. and so meditation and writing and prayer and swimming and being grateful and and it's not like sugar coating the bad stuff i i'm i'm living in a country now where i brace myself every single day before i look at my my you know my social media feeds right, right. and so I'm choosing to be grateful and to be in solution as opposed to focusing on the problems mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all that's going wrong, because wherever my focus goes, it's going to be magnified. And that's my choice yeah. regardless of what's going on. And so, you know, I think this really does come back to keeping my cup filled up huh. and uh, so that I'm able to be of maximum service, maximum love and service to those around me.
1: Mm, beautiful. Well, oh, thank you so much for sharing with us, Pama. It's been really great talking to you. Um Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: Have a have a beautiful rest of your it's still day there, right? Beautiful mm-hmm. rest of your day.
0: <laughs> thank Hi. you, Marianne. You as well. <laughs> thank you so much for
1: coming on the show. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.